So we covered like a little bit of everything last week. There were three categories that I talked in last week. One would be just basic advice. That's just my opinion. Take it or leave it. Uh, the other would be wisdom. The next one would be wisdom. Wisdom is like the book of Proverbs. It's usually right. Every once in a while, it's not appropriate for that situation. But these are things that I would suggest to you. Hey, as you walk wisely with the Lord, this is how you ought to conduct yourselves. The third category that I spoke in, for instance, was like, what does God say? Using the Bible, this is clearly what the Lord teaches. It's easy to get confused, and I think some folks took, for instance, some of the things I said as Bible, as law. Uh, for instance, dating apps. I talked about you could use dating apps. I said you could use dating apps, but be careful because we have a friend who got sent in an invitation to a torture room on her dating app, never had a conversation with the guy. I got my haircut from her yesterday, and she showed me the picture of the torture, and she said, Thomas, you won't believe it. Look at what this guy invited me to. And I was like, no, no, no. Do not, she deleted the app because of that invitation. And so she like reloaded it while I was sitting there. She said, I showed this to Heather. I said, let me see it. She said, here it is. And I was like, don't go there. She was like, I won't. And so, you know, now dating, when I talk about dating apps, it's my opinion. I think there's some wisdom in it, but I can't show you in the Bible where it says use or don't use dating apps. However, I think more wisdom would look around and say, why don't I just ask somebody else out in this room? Like that seems to be the wisest approach. Like there's a real person like, oh, we could go out. Now here's more wisdom for you. When it comes to dating, you can go out and it's not a big deal. All right, that's just wise. Don't make it a big deal. For instance, the Christian culture at, at the University of Georgia is creepy. If you date someone, you're supposed to marry them. Like one date, don't do that. You can go to coffee, then you can go to dinner. You could even sneak a lunch in there if you wanted to with three different people. I don't care. Like, it's totally fine. That's what they did in like the 1950s. Just keep it casual. That to me would be advice and wisdom but none of that's just Bible. So does that clarify? I also talked about don't go on vacation with your significant other. Several of you came up to me afterwards and said, are you talking about Jack and Amelia? And I said, <laughs> I said, no, I actually wasn't talking about Jack and Amelia. They were with his brother and got engaged. Yeah. And actually, Heather said, that's right, show that ring, Jack. Uh, now, I actually had no one in mind when I was having that conversation. I think it's just wise if you don't travel out of town solo with your significant other. But no, I was not talking about them. Thank you all for asking. <laughs> so, uh, just to clarify. Now, we'll move on. Going back to the idea of restoration, I sent out a bunch of polls. You answered these as much or more than you did any other poll. And so we'll just start with the first one here. What is an appropriate level of physical act or physical and sexual activity for Christian singles? Now, 14 of you are waiting until you get engaged or married to kiss. I hope it's seven and seven and you find each other <laughs> tonight. All right, a bunch of you are like, I love kissing. Like you're like all about the kissing, 230 of you. Speaking from wisdom, I think that both of those are fine. Heather and I did not kiss until we were engaged. 
And there's a whole long backstory to that. I don't think that's for everyone. I can't tell you from the Bible that's for everyone. It worked for us. It helped us be, it helped us take our mind off the physical and learn more about each other. And so when you cut the physical out, this is fact. When you cut the physical out, you can't help but get to know the person. You want to uncloud your judgment? Cut the physical out. Pick an amount of time and just say, for two weeks, we're not kissing or we're not, you know, well, you shouldn't do the other stuff anyway. But some of you said touching private parts is fine with me. If you're talking about your own private part, that's still not okay in certain ways. If you're talking about someone else's private part, stop. They, it's, and the reason, here's the deal. I can't show you a Bible verse that says, don't touch a woman's chest, men. I can't show you that in the Bible. What I can show you is a whole book called the Song of Solomon that says, do not arouse or awaken love until it is time. And they wait and wait and wait until they are married, and then they arouse and awaken love, folks. It's the whole book. And so while I may not can pull a verse out of my back pocket and say, here's your verse for this specific dating situation, I can show you a narrative that values a female's body, that values a man's body, and those two bodies are not to be brought together in any way that creates lust instead of love outside of the context of marriage. So look, if you really want to touch each other's body parts, I have a plan for you. You ready? Here's what you should do. You should go tell her dad, I want to touch her body parts. And then you guys should plan a huge party with a band, and you should buy like some flowers and stuff and some food and invite me, and you'll be married. And then you can go and do whatever you want. That seems to me the more appropriate way to be intimate with someone than just a casual deal. Now, all things besides intercourse are okay. I would beg to say that, I would beg to differ on that, and I would say that there are things that may not be penetrative, penis-vaginal intercourse. You're like, oh my gosh, we just stepped back into eighth grade health class. I would say there are things outside of that, like oral sex and other things, that are the same the same emotional consequences, the same emotional cliff you two go off when you go to that world. And so I would say, just back it up, back it up. And I would say, if you're in a relationship, if the boundary line is like this wall back here, draw your boundary line over here. The further you have your lines drawn in your relationship physically, the better off you'll be because I promise you, you'll walk up to the line. And so, okay, we'll keep going. It depends on how much we love each other and how committed we are. Nope. You got to decide that ahead of time. Okay, we're going to move on. I could talk for a long time on this. We got things to do. The Christian argument for abstinence before marriage. I was really proud of myself with this question because I quoted Casey Musgraves and I just thought it was funny. And so some of you are like, it's freeing. It's so great. Uh, and it is freeing. Some of you are like, I agree with Casey Musgraves that uh, it's good. But if you save yourself for marriage, you're a bore. And if you don't, you're a horrible person is how she says it. Um, and some of you said it's constraining. I just put that on there because in case you didn't like the Casey Musgraves quote, you could click that one. Um, 
But if you think about it, most of these surveys were basically 70-30. A lot of these surveys were in the 70-30 mark. About 70% of folks all went to the same spot, and about 30% of folks all went to the same spot. Very interesting, all these surveys went that way. The next one, the LGBTQ, um, I'm actually talking about that in two weeks. That's the last week of this series. I'm going to wrap that up. But most of you put that um, the LGBTQ lifestyle is not a part of God's original design, therefore they should be welcomed in as outsiders. But some of you said Christians are called to love all people, therefore LGBTQ lifestyles should be integrated into uh, are the common Christian faith. And then some of you said LGBTQ is not part of God's original design, therefore should be shunned. I would just go ahead and tell you I agree with the third one. I don't agree with the first one or the second one, but I'll tell you why in two weeks. Okay. Uh, sexual decision-making for Christians. Uh, hooking up is normal for Christian singles. Uh, I was surprised so few of you said that. I would think that would be a little more common because from what I've heard, it's similar to what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, I hear there's stuff going on among you that's not even going on among the pagans. Listen to me on this. Even the air conditioning got quiet. Non-Christian people are sometimes way better at pursuing and asking out and breaking up and going after somebody else than so many folks in the church. I think non-Christian folks, if they are hooking up, it's like, yeah, why wouldn't we? But they'll probably at least ask you first. There's been a lot of Christians that have gone on a date and thought, I didn't know it was going to go that far. So, Hooking up is normal, but I don't know how to stop. We're going to talk about that tonight. I see Christian wisdom in my sexual decision-making. I think that's good, especially in a confusing world. I think it's okay to say, can I do this? Can I do that? I think that's perfectly fine. Ask those questions. I don't hook up. I think that's awesome. Now, we go on to sexual activity for young single adults. I have hooked up and or had sex with someone. That was the majority answer. Right behind that was I have not hooked up or had sex with someone. So if you think about it in this room tonight, when we talk about sex and crossing the boundaries that God has instated, far more than half in the room have gone past the point that is ideal. And so we talk about how do we get back into God's plan. So if you're thinking, is there any hope for me? Probably the person next to you is thinking the same thing. And if you're thinking, oh, boy, this is a mess. I've kept myself pure. Probably somebody a couple of seats over is thinking the same thing. But you know what? We're really all in the same boat because you're probably going to marry somebody or get in a relationship with somebody who has either done exactly what you've done if you've stepped outside of God's plan or is, has been pure and they're going to have to deal with you stepping outside of God's plan. And so we've got to figure this out together. Some of you said, I am sexually active, but I believe God is not pleased with my choices. I would agree with you there, but I would say there's hope. Some of you said, I am sexually active and believe that God is fine with my actions. That, I would say, Hebrews 13, 4 is clear on that. It says, the adulterer and the immoral will be punished. And so, he says, to keep the marriage bed honored by all. We move on to the next one and says, I was sexually active but have stopped, and I just want to pause right there, and I just want to say I'm very, very proud of you. That's a big deal, and that's the hand of God on your life. 
And so hats off to you being obedient to the Lord and the Lord working in your life. Okay, the last one that we're going to cover is pornography. And that one, I've had multiple people to say that they appreciated me putting that question out there. I want to say to you, I appreciate you answering this question. Um, the older people that I talked to said that you should not probably put pornography out there unless it's just a guy's group. And the women have primarily been the ones who have thanked me for putting the question up. And so I appreciate your candor in this. I have never seen pornography was the second or the third leading answer. That's about 60 of you. You need to thank God that you have not been exposed to pornography. That is a gift. Um, my hope tonight, my prayer has been that this night would not set off any triggers in you and that you would not go exploring or be open to that temptation because it is a bad place. I did not seek out pornography, but it was shown to me. That's my story. Um, I have viewed pornography in the last three months. That's, uh, that's very candid. I appreciate that. And if you've viewed it in the last three months, you've probably viewed it in the last two weeks. That's kind of the way this game works. You're either out of the woods or you're not out of the woods. It's really, and, and hopefully I can explain that a little more. That sounds really harsh. But that's coming from some folks that I've talked to that have been in the counseling world, and there is a breaking point. Occasionally there's a relapse, those kinds of things, but there is a breaking point when it goes away, and that is the freedom of God on your life. Um, I have viewed pornography in the past, but I do not now. Some of you have an incredible story with that, and we appreciate you being candid in this, and also you know all too well the deep-rutted scars that that can leave in your heart and in your mind. It is a battle every day to see someone in the purity that God made them in the way God made them, and you will have to go through that battle, but keep fighting the battle. And lastly, pornography is not an issue for me, but masturbation is. That's the one where I wrote it and deleted it, wrote it and deleted it, wrote it and deleted it, wrote it and sent it. And that's because I had a few different text messages from people saying, you need to include this. So Heather and I watched Below Deck, and this is my last thing I'm saying, then I'm coming to y'all. We watched Below Deck. That's our trash TV show. And on Below Deck, there was a girl who, oh, there's like all these drama romances that happen, and there was a girl who said, I don't need a man, I have my vibrator. Ten years ago, if she would have said that, she would have been just like ostracized as this incredibly like out there woman. Now she can say it on a major television show on a network that's pretty common on most cable or satellite things, and it's like, okay. That should not be like a numb statement. That should be something that's still shocking to us that we can talk like that on television. Ten years ago, if a guy would have said, I don't need a girl, I have my Playboy, a lot of folks would have been like, eh. But the fact that we've come so far in such a short period of time and been blinded to sexual promiscuity, I think should tell us something. And if we're trying to go against that current, folks, it's a fire hydrant and the lever has only been loosened more and the water pressure is flowing harder. And so a lot of the world has jumped on the bandwagon that if you're a married couple, it's okay to watch pornography to get each other aroused. If you're a woman and you're just going to entertain yourself, 
with a vibrator, that's totally fine. If you're a guy and you're just going to go masturbate, it's totally fine. And let me tell you what, all of those things take your mind and your heart away from real people and into a fantasy world, and you refuse to engage in real people, you only see people as what they can offer you, ultimately you become your own god when you serve yourself sexually. You lose God's design. You lose his purpose. You lose the unity and the beauty that he has when he brings people together and just general friendships let alone sexual things. And then you get real confused, and it's a real confusing world. And then you become a statistic of somebody who approaches a counselor, and there are multiple counselors who have this story of young, healthy couples getting married, and they can't turn each other on. And I'm talking like week one of the marriage. And it's not because... Week one, all of a sudden something went wrong. It's because of all the years of stuff that has nested in their heart and clogged up all the things that should be there. And so, you also, when you get into this world, you not only applaud sex trafficking, you support sex trafficking. So the next time you're tempted, fellows, to look at some woman, or ladies, if you're watching pornography and there's a woman on there, just know there's a very good chance she never knew she was going to end up in that world. She was baited and switched and got thrown into that world. And shame on us if we get pleasure from her misery. Okay, here we go. All right. Uh, so here's what I want to do. I want to just start by asking. Just oh. give, just real quick. Um, oh, you have to have your microphone. Where's your mics? Oh, you don't have your mics? Oh, guys, you need your mics. This is going to be great. Okay. There you go. You have to hold it up close. It'll feel weird, but it'll be right. Okay. This is just a statistic from, sorry, my voice is gone. Sounds horrible. Sorry. No, you sound um, great. There's a book that came out. It's Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations that, that the Church Forgot. That's Mo Isom. It's really good. Um, but this statistic was from 2018. 96% um, of young adults professing evangelical, evangelical Christians included are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral in their view toward pornography and don't see it as a sin. As a result, in 2016, so this is 2016, alone people watched 4.6 billion hours of porn at just one website, the biggest site in the world. That's 524,000 years of porn, or around 17,000 complete lifetimes in one year. That was 2016. I, I found that staggering. Yeah. Anyway. That's your mic. Yeah, you get to keep it. I um, like 
So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask a few, a series of questions. They're each going to answer them, and we're going to run through basically their life history. They are all being very candid, very vulnerable, and so I would appreciate if you would respect them being candid and vulnerable. I did have multiple ladies say, hey, if you want me to talk, I'll talk. I had Noah tell me that if I wanted somebody to talk, he would talk. And so I appreciate it, Noah. There we go. Um, So uh, Liz, and then Noah, then Heather, what was your first exposure to something sexual that was outside of God's plan for a husband and wife was, you know, what, what was your first exposure to that? Hey, everybody. Um, so I grew up here in Atlanta, and um, I was shown pornography when I was eight years old by a, a family member. And um, then I experienced some abuse after that. Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, I was ex- uh, first exposed, I guess, um, really I was told what masturbation was in middle school um, from a friend. And then that ultimately led to self-exposure to pornography um, later in, in middle school. So, For me, I had a subscription to Cosmo Magazine. I don't know if you know about Cosmopolitan Magazine, but girls, it is basically just porn in like a teen magazine. So... That was my first exposure to all the quizzes you can take about sex. So. Yeah, and mine was a guy, uh, a buddy in middle school, brought me over to his house and said, look at this, and he pulled out his dad's uh, collection of magazines. That was my first exposure. So the, I think we have in those slides somewhere, um, do we have the, yeah, we have James 1.15. Can we put that slide up? James 1.15 says that then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown gives birth to death. So the way this works is you get a seed implanted in you of something bad and oftentimes we don't have the spiritual roundup to spray on it and so it begins to grow and it begins to fester and it starts out fun but then ultimately John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy but I have come that they might have life. James 1.15, John 10.10, they both kind of echo the idea that sin when unattended grows into a death kind of plant. It chokes you out. So let's just talk a little bit about the progression. So you, you had pornography and you had abuse, Liz. So what, was the, what does that do to a person? Where did that take you? Um, so you can imagine like definitely guilt and shame. And I was really afraid because I didn't really know what to do. And, you know, I think when we hold a secret in for so long, um, it, it changes us as a person. And so I just lived this double life, like throughout middle school, high school. And, you know, I was getting help. I was going to counseling, but um, I didn't understand really the impact that it had made in terms of sin. Um, I was told I was a victim that this was a perpetrator that had done this to me. And so I really lived in this place of like, I um, was helpless. And then when I got into college, I was in, you know, a party scene and it was very much like, this is what we do. We go out, we drink and, and hooking up was part of that culture. And so um, it just became more of this lifestyle, you know, that a lot of college uh, people live. And, you know, I just kind of further, I guess, like, perpetuated that, that original 
abuse and exposure to um, sexual sin. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it continued. So you're talking from eight, like for another 10 or 15 years, this thing's like growing and moving. Okay. Noah, what about you? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think f- once exposure, I mean, starts to happen, and like when I was in middle school, I, I got an iPod Touch, and you know, remember those? So, and you know, it's like ever since then, I mean, the uh, access to. I wasn't laughing at you, Noah. I was smiling that you had an iPod Touch in middle school, and I was like, Oh, and I'm a young I guy. I was not in middle school. <laughs> <laughs> okay, keep going. Yeah, Go yeah. and. Uh, but I mean, the, the access to the internet at the, you know, right in the palm of your hand, it's out of, out of control. And so, you know, going into high school and continuing to go down this path, um, like, like you said, it, it's, you start to lead very much of a double life. You know, growing up in church, um, you, you start to, and I, speaking from a guy's perspective, I mean, it's so easy to become numb to that side of things. Um, and while at the same time, you know, strive to still be involved at church or go to youth group and all these things. And, um, and ultimately for me, it, it uh, you know, it continued to spiral into hooking up and, and all that. And I mean, my mind has gone places that I never thought it would ever go um, as a, you know, as a kid, you know, when I first learned about sex for the first time, you know, you don't know. And then, um, it leads to some really dark places and you don't, when you're in the midst of it, you don't even think about how dark it is. Right. It's, it's looking back and thinking, man, like what was that? You know? And, um, I think a lot of that is attributed to the Holy spirit, which we'll, we'll talk about more later. Mm -hmm. What about you, Heather? How did it, progress as life went on? I think it was just for me, uh, my friend groups, just being curious because my friends started having sex and making out. And so that was like 14, I think, for me. Um, And then I lost my virginity when I was 17. And after that, um, I just went on a rampage, really, because my heart was broken and torn. And I was like, no one's going to get me down now. I'm going to be the heartbreaker. And so um, that, and like you said, it's just a downward spiral of darkness. And you think that you're getting fulfilled and satisfied and you're truly not. Like you're just getting more and more broken. Um, but there's more about that story. Do you, do you see a, a pattern that Satan has where Satan says, hey, I wonder if I can steal a kid's childhood. I wonder how early I can beat somebody up and take their innocence and start putting corruption in their life. And that should make us angry. That that's how that's the game he plays. And that's what's happening. I mean, he's trying to take a childhood and a childhood and a childhood and a childhood, and then you start thinking that's normal, and you start thinking like, "Oh, well, this is just what people do, and this is how you this is how you get along in life, and this is okay." And you heard Noah's story. Noah's story is similar to my story in that I was still in church, 
I lost my virginity when I was 16, and I'm still to this day ashamed of that for me and for her. It's a terrible thing. And yet, I was in church. Like, it was, I, I knew it was a double lifestyle, but like, it, it was fine. It was just kind of normal. But what Liz said earlier is important too, and that it was a secret that was welling up that I could no longer hide. And you see that in Heather's story and all of our stories. Eventually, the way Satan works, he starts as a dark secret. But eventually, it's visible to all kinds of folks around you. So you're here today, and you're here today, and you're here today, and I'm here today. There had to have been a breaking point. There had to have been a point where God, in his sovereignty, rescued you from something that you clearly couldn't rescue yourself from. So tell us a little bit about that, Liz. So um, what's amazing is that, you know, God, God never leaves us or forsakes us, even when we turn our back on him or we run away from him or we don't think he's, you know, still there. And so there were always these, when I look back on my life, there are these moments where like God really, you know, was sustaining me, even though it was obviously very challenging. Um, but the, the first really big intervention that like where God really came in was when I was 21 and um, he just revealed his love to me. And I, I just was changed after that point and I was able to forgive uh, the family member and um, but I didn't really know how to then develop a relationship with the Lord. And so, you know, I got right back into, you know, a lot of um, sin and hardship and stuff. And really where the, the final breaking point came was I had to realize that even though I had been abused, even though someone had, you know, taken advantage of me, that I had to understand that I had to take ownership over my own life. I had to, um, as an adult, say, you know what, I, I'm perpetuating this. I'm continuing to engage in sin and um, hurting myself and hurting God. And so I, um, I, I finally realized I had to repent of my own um, sin and into a relationship that was not healthy. And um, that was only about three years ago. That was in uh, 2016. And so um, it took a long time. And I hope wherever y'all are, it doesn't take us long. But, um, you know, God was faithful in, in helping me get out of that. Yeah, uh, let's see. So for me, it was, you know, I think, I mean, the first time, like, like you said, there's multiple times that like, you can look back on and think, okay, God was there um, in that moment. And um, I remember, I mean, the first time that, that God really came to me, and I think this is really where my salvation really started to become my own, was my, a soft, my, I was a sophomore in high school. And I think that, for me, is when the struggle really began. Um, when I started to really recognize, okay, this sexual sin is, is absolutely wrong. It needs to be rooted out. Um, and it's been an incredibly long journey. Uh, because, um, you know, I ended up losing my virginity in college. And um, even before that, though, there was a, a second time that God came, came into my life. And 
that was my freshman year of college. And um, at that point, you know, the Lord really touched me. And, and I, I came up out of a lot of the other sin that I was in as, you know, living in. Um, at that point, I'd say the double life really started to dissipate. Um, with that being said, I still end up losing my virginity after that point. And so I, I, attributed, I attribute that to just all the hookups in high school, all the pornography. Um, it became easy just to fall into that. Um, and so then from that point, it's been a gradual, the Lord's been, I mean, pulling me out of all this over the last three, three years. Um, but it has, you know, the, the, the Lord, it's, it's amazing that with these types of things, it's the, the, the sexual sin, if it's there for me, when it was there in my life, so predominantly as it was, it's incredibly hard to see other sin that's in your life. And it sort of clouds what else is in there that's keeping you from the Lord. And, uh, I think that I think Satan has used that in my life. He, he's he's done that intent. It's very it's been very intentional. Um, but you know the my, the relationship with the the Lord that I've had has just continued to grow grow a lot sweeter, and I've continued to just grow in understanding that His mercy is more. That we need that I need Him um, for past mistakes for current trials and current mistakes, um, that it's never, never really ending. So it's a constant struggle and it's a lifelong struggle. So. Yeah, Heather, go ahead. Then I'll, I'll chat for a minute. For me, it was, um, my junior year in college. Um, I had just gotten to the end of myself also where, um, just through many years of just going down that road and just not finding true love. And really, I was wanting to be known and loved. I mean, that's what I was seeking. And I I had gotten saved when I was... <laughs> I <came>. love her. <laughs> um, but I had gotten saved when I was nine and just completely walked away from that. And um, like I said, with my friend groups and things like that all through high school, middle school, high school, and college until junior year. And um, I just was looking for that again. And I was just empty and kind of void. And the Lord just met me right where I was. Honestly, like I just started praying and I was like, I, re I remember when I was young and how how on fire I was for the Lord and all the joy that came with that. And um, I had just lost many years of that. And just like you were saying, he never leaves us. He's always pursuing us and just knowing that he was there at that moment. And there was no condemnation in that surrender. And that was the most beautiful thing because... Because you think that you're irreparable and you're not. Like he loves you so much and there's no condemnation in what you've done and what you've been through. Like you are repairable and you can be redeemed and restored back to you, I promise. And he's done that in my life. And so I want you to know that. I want you to know that you're loved. You can be whole and free. He wants you to be free of this.
Um, so, um, let's go to the the Jeremiah thirty one slide that, with Jeremiah thirty one three and four. It says, the Lord has appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again. Virgin Israel will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels and you'll go out to dance with the joyful. I love this passage because Israel was not a virgin. Israel was a mess. Israel had worshipped other gods. They had prostituted themselves out over and over again. They had run away from God for years. And the Lord, in His love, looks to them and says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I'm going to build you up again. And then He says two really sweet words. He says, Virgin Israel. And I love that, that the Lord calls Israel that. Because that is the sign of complete restoration and wholeness, even if Israel didn't believe it for themselves. You can be in a relationship with someone, and I encourage you to ask pretty early, tell me about your, your sexual history. You don't need to know all the details. They don't need to tell you everything. But I encourage you to find out sooner rather than later and listen to their story. And you can hear the stories of repentance, and what you're listening for is have they had that moment that each one up here is talking about, that breaking point, that moment that clearly God has reached into their lives? And if you hear that, then you need to make the decision is the Lord, has the Lord called them virgin Israel? Has he called to them with an everlasting love? Has he, is he rebuilding them? Then you decide, do I want to join in that? And it was a very vulnerable moment for Heather and I to share our stories with each other because we had to decide, does she want to join in the journey that I've been on? Do I want to join in the journey that she's been on? And clearly we both said yes. And I think that's really important. For me, I was 17. I was at a youth camp, and, uh, and I came to know the Lord. I got saved at that camp. I would have told you I was a Christian before that, but something happened the last night of that camp. After that was over, my story is similar to everybody up here. There's like, uh, Heather didn't go into it, but there's, there's never this just like, you hear the stories of like cold turkey, like I was this and now I'm this. Most folks, when they actually get into their story, it looks more like a stock graph and it goes up and then down and up and then down and up and then down. So when you hear their story, it can sound like we're talking out of both sides of our mouth. God has redeemed me, I went back into sin. God has redeemed me, I went back into sin. Just listen to the story though, and what you're listening for is, is there less, is there progressive sanctification that's happening? Is it moving? Are they moving closer to the Lord? I got involved with a girl in the youth group this time, because if you, if you mess up outside the church, might as well like find somebody in the church. And our relationship started good, and then it went bad, and I'm talking physically bad. And then my freshman year of college, after that was over, I remember that summer I prayed. There was this old third day song on, and it said, take for me my life when I don't have the strength. 
to give it away to you, Jesus. And it cut me straight to the heart. And I was like, I don't have the strength to be a spiritual leader in this relationship. I don't have the strength to tell this girl we shouldn't go too far. Every time we're together, I try to go even further. I don't know what's wrong with me, but it's like the answer on one of those surveys. I know hooking up is wrong, but I don't know how to not hook up. That was me. And I prayed, Lord, I don't have the strength to do the right thing. Please use me. Like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I'm like, God, I want to be used by you. God, I can't quit messing up. And it wasn't like, but probably two weeks later, she called me and she said, hey, I think we need to break up. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And I wasn't even like upset. I didn't even cry. I was like, you answered my prayer. I didn't have the strength to break up with her. She broke up with me. There was like this long pause. I think she thought I was like crying, but I was like, this is amazing. And so uh, I didn't tell her that though. And so... Uh, we broke up and then God immediately convicted me, Thomas, don't date for a year. And so I bargained with him like three months, six months, nine months, a year. I finally settled on a year. I didn't date for a year. It was in that process that I started realizing I only viewed women as objects. I didn't view them as people. This is before people talked about this stuff in church settings. I was like, man, I'm really messed up. I only see girls as pretty or not pretty. And I was like appalled that I thought that. But I had trained my mind for years to think that way. And so the Lord started letting me realize like, oh, all humans are his creation and they have things like personalities. And I was like, oh, this is, I, I mean, I felt like I was like a, like, a, like a kindergartner learning how to talk. And one year wasn't enough. When that was over, I didn't date for the second year. When that was over, I felt like God said, you can do what you want. And I was like, let's roll the dice. And so I didn't date for the third year. And I didn't date all through college after that. I blew all my chances. But I did, I did start a Bible study during that time. And I went back to teach that Bible study. And there was this real pretty brunette girl at the Bible study who about a year before had been broken in the story she told you, and God had been repairing, and he had been preparing me. I clearly needed longer than her. He had been preparing me, but us guys are slow. He had been preparing me for three years of not dating, not being in a relationship, just learning to like appreciate people. And he had been preparing her, and that's when the Lord brought us together. But I do want to tell you the story doesn't end there. We continue, 20 years this August we'll be married, and we continue, as Noah said earlier, to battle the battle for purity that was corrupted when we were teenagers. So stop collecting baggage, because the more luggage you collect now, the more you're going to bring into your marriage. But that's easier said than done. So I forgot what our next question was. What was I supposed to say next? Was this, the, was this like the what would you say now? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. That summed us up to it. I got on a soapbox there. Liz, so clearly it's been a longer journey for you than it has been for Noah, but you've had more time to have that journey. It's been a longer journey for Heather and I than it has for either of you, but... What would you say to folks out there in your former position and what maybe some resources that you have for folks? Um, so the, the verse that the Lord really put on my heart was Isaiah 61, really the whole chapter. And, you know, it's um, 
the Lord like heals our broken heart. He binds our broken heart and he heals our wounds. And so anything that we're going through, you know, the Lord can heal. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so just knowing that this is something that is going to be something that the Lord is going to continue to heal in me, it would be important for me to continue to be connected in ways in which I can continue to be healed. And so I think sometimes we think like, okay, well, that was the past. This is now, you know, the present. I don't, I just don't want to, I just don't want to even think about those things. Like, I just want to forget. And um, the Lord wants to do like a complete restoration in our hearts. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't want to just stop. And he wants to complete, he wants our whole hearts and he wants us to then be used by him. And so, you know, I've been working with our biblical counselor here. Um, I've been, you know, through a lot of counseling myself. And one of the things that our biblical counselor at Christ Covenant says is that, you know, um, you know, God will use our pain and use the things that we've been through, you know, to to help other people. And so, um, I have a lot of resources. Um, so. Thomas is going to talk about like ways to get in touch with me. Um, our church for members, we have access to a biblical counselor. Um, I would encourage if, if you think you need more counseling to see a biblically based Christian counselor, um, not just a Christian counselor. And, um, and then what's really helpful for me personally too, is like just to have a couple good close friends, like close accountability, you know, where I can, I can be, honest. I can, I can be fully known and fully loved with some of my girlfriends. And that has just been such a blessing, especially coming from a place where I felt like I was totally alone and I was ashamed and I was like afraid to be, to really be real. That's good. So there's a lot of hope. Amen. Yeah. uh, So for me, I, I would say, you know, the, the church absolutely doesn't talk enough about this, you know, and I think that's a big, a big thing that exists for, existed for me uh, growing up. And like you said, Thomas, it, it, it's normal both outside the church and inside the church for sexual impurity to be, you know, it's, it's the norm. So it's, it, it was so easy to stay in it and, um, and, you know, and to allow myself to just continue to go down that road. Uh, and things that I've learned, you know, along the way is, so just some practical tips. First of all, you know, something that I've done and I'm still doing is, like, I, I don't, my electro, I don't have a computer, I don't have a phone in my room when I go to bed at night. Uh, I just remove the distraction entirely, remove the temptation completely. Uh, because yes, there's part of you is like, oh, I can, if, if I just pray hard enough, the Lord will, you know, remove the temptation. The Lord's not going to remove the temptation. All right. The Lord is going to encourage you to fight that temptation. And sometimes it's easier to just remove the temptation up to a certain point. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's, uh, just a recommendation. Also confession. I mean, I think that getting these things out in the open when, for me, when I first started, you know, just trying to uproot all this stuff. Some of the first people I told were my parents at my dinner table. Um, and that was one of the hardest conversations I ever had. Bold, uh, <laughs> very bold. 
Yeah. And, you know, and so part of it is like, I had friends that knew, right? But it's, it's, it's confessing to friends who are in a similar life stage or similar spot as you when it comes to some of this stuff doesn't always help because you're, you're trying to fight these things together and that's encouraging, but it's also when you fall, it's like, uh, sorry, like I also fell. So like, you know, it's okay. Like you don't feel as bad. And so I think that talking to people, your, your parent, for me is my parents, or also just counselors, people who have been through this and have, are removed from it. The Lord has redeemed them to confess these things to them, getting it out in the light. So um, I think that is a huge key. And then um, finally, I, I just, I can't stress enough the importance of getting in scripture and getting in prayer, because that is ultimately where the redemption and the healing and the hope comes from. Um, and so a verse the Lord put on my heart um, is Isaiah 44. And, you know, Lord is, Israel has flee, has strayed from the Lord and, um, and God is, you know, telling them about all the, the, the folly of idolatry. And uh, at the end, he says, Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Mm-hmm. And that's just so beautiful. I, it's like you, you, want to, you want to be in a spot where it's like you want, you want to run to the Lord. And for me, mm-hmm. I've been in that spot many, many times. Um, so I, that's what I would say is prayer and, and confession, practical, practical things and, um, getting in, getting in the word. So that's good. Heather. For me, I'm just all about like what the Lord can do in your heart and your life. Um, in that redemption, um, because you do, you just feel broken and not whole anymore, but the scripture that. And it's serious because in um, 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up, um, raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Then shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And then it talks about fleeing from sexual immorality. So this is very serious to the Lord and what we do with our bodies and how our hearts just get become one. Um, and you're basically, as believers, we're prostituting Christ along with our actions, and he doesn't want to be there. Don't take him there. He doesn't want to be there. Um, But again, he redeems that if you have been there. If you are there, stop, Um, because there's great hope in that and freedom, like we talked about, because um, the story of the woman caught in adultery was what changed me also. It says, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said to test him, and they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, 
Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And I love this. I love that he just, he stood with her. Um, Jesus was left alone standing with the woman. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And that that changed my life um, after that time. Just That's the Jesus that we serve, and that's the Jesus that loves us so in, infinitely. Um, and then it says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that's his promise. And it's so good. Let's hear it for these three. Being bold and sharing. <laughs> There's so much more we could talk about. I know we've gone a little long tonight. I think uh, we need to just pause and have a dance party next week and then dot, 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 continue later. Uh, next week's just going to be a ton of fun, and we need that. This has been real heavy. I know I've talked very firmly at times, and I mean it firmly because we need to deal with this firmly. But at the same time, I have great compassion for you if you're in a spot where you're like, I don't know how to get out of this. I'd love for you to come talk to one of the three of them, to Liz, Noah, or my sweet Heather. Um, you can talk to me also. I'm not offering them up for like full-time counseling for you, but if sometimes confession is the beginning, sometimes just asking is beginning. And some of you may have some real hard decisions to make as far as continuing or discontinuing relationships. I think we need to have those conversations too. So let me pray for us. Um, Jordan, let's do one. I think we just need to close. I think we need to worship. So can you just lead us in a closing song? Because sometimes Jordan and I look at each other and we're like, we've gone too long. And then other times we're like, no, let's do it. But I want Jordan to come up. He's going to lead us. And Camille also we will scoot off the stage. But let me pray for us. And uh, thank you all for being up here tonight. Very bold. We appreciate it. Father, I lift up to you all the folks in the room, Lord. I, the, the verse that's coming to mind is where you say that you do not break a bruised reed and you don't put out a wick that is just flickering. And so, Lord, I ask that there would be hope that fills the room tonight and not condemnation. Lord, you don't, as Noah was saying, you don't always take all the temptations away, but you do provide a way out according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And so we ask that you would show hope and you would show a way out. And Lord, that you would do a really, really sweet, redemptive work in our group here. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.